is the true St. Nicholas? Part 1. The Making of a Legend Praise a higher family, the great I am, the holy, righteous and eternal King. The only true and wise and living God, the Almighty. So I've called this podcast, Who is the True St. Nicholas? Now many Yashraelites, and when I say Yashraelites, I mean Hebrew Israelites, those who would formerly have been known as the Negroes, will think this has nothing whatsoever to do with them. However, they may have cause to rethink that opinion by the time we've finished this podcast. However, before we get fully into that, I just want to take a moment to say, Happy New Gregorian Year, family! I say New Gregorian Year because as Yashraelites, going by the calendar that Yahuwah, that's God, gave to Moses, it's not quite the end of the year for us just yet. Of course, we know the year doesn't renew in the middle of winter. However, aren't we grateful to God for everything he's done and continues to do for us in protecting and keeping us? Many did not live to see today. Life, and even this very day, is a very rare and precious gift. Let's therefore choose to honour him by choosing to rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. So I'll come on to the subject of today's podcast, who is the true St. Nicholas, shortly. However, with this being the first podcast of this supposed new Gregorian year, all I can say is, we seem to be off to quite a start. If this is any indication of how this year is going to unfold, we are certainly in for some very interesting times. My subscribers will have seen that I posted out to them on Sunday, the 1st of January, 2023, just as the news broke, of the Barbadian government taking the family of Benedict Cumberbatch to court for reparations for slavery. Benedict Cumberbatch, many of you will know, from his acting career in film and Hollywood. So we may come back to talk a bit more about this in a separate podcast, though I'll probably wait until more about the case unfolds before I comment. So watch this space. But now let's finally segue into the subject of today's podcast, The Legend of St. Nicholas, and who this character might actually be. I've actually split the commentary on this subject into two parts. I've done a further exploration of this subject in the latest post that's published on the, web, on the words page on our website, repairersofthebreach.online. It's called Tis the Season of the Witch. It's also published as a recording there for those who prefer to listen as opposed to read. That article gives a breakdown from scripture and further commentary around the origins of this whole legend of St. Nicholas, including from the books of Revelations and also Romans in relation to this Christmas or winter festival. However, I wanted to pull out the historical facts from that article and focus on them here. Now, I probably approached this topic with a very broad brush. So I've also included a Christmas character that at least in the UK anyway, and perhaps thankfully, is not part of the mainstream British Christmas story. Some might even say it's more on the extreme side. However, I thought the messages encoded in this character 
do give some indication and insight into the identity of who the true St. Nicholas might actually be. So I thought it valid to mention this character here for that reason. So what or who am I talking about? I'm talking about the legend of a character called Black Pete. Of course, it's more common in the Dutch Christmas tradition. I will come on to talk about this, or talk about him, a bit more later on. As I say, some of the traditions of this holiday, namely Christmas, are actually rooted in the celebration of the Gentiles of the subjugation of our people, the Hebrew Israelites. And if that's truly the case, then it would beg the question as to what we may actually be doing when we, especially now knowing that we are Israel, still choose to celebrate this holiday. When I say some of the traditions, according to the scriptures, potentially even down to the tradition of the giving and receiving of gifts at this time, you may say, oh, surely no. But there is a biblical precedent for this. Doesn't the book of Revelations tell us that in the end of days, the nations, on overcoming the two witnesses that Yahuwah will send to bear witness of the truth, peoples everywhere will exchange or give and receive gifts? So there is a precedent in the scriptures for what I am saying. There really is truly nothing new under the sun. Anyway, hold on to that point. It should make sense as we go on. The evidence of this, as I say, is more overt or clearly visible in some of the more extreme aspects of the Christmas narrative. More familiar, for instance, in the Netherlands. However, it is perhaps more hidden in the mainstream Christmas story in the legend of Father Christmas. And this, St. Nicholas, supposedly being one and the same character. Because aren't we told that these are interchangeable names? to refer to one and the same person. So I want to, I wanted to look at this a little further on the Hebrew Diaspora newsfeed, as Christmas is a festival that has a huge following amongst Yashraelites, our people, those who would formerly have been known as the Negroes. It's important and perhaps timely that now, especially as many of us are becoming aware of our true identity, we take some time to evaluate this holiday so that we can be intentional and have a good understanding of what we may be doing when we reverence or choose to celebrate this holiday as opposed to the biblical holy days. So it may not be easy listening, but we mustn't forget that our purpose at Hebrew Diaspora News is concerned to ensure that we make a spiritual return to Yahuwah. And when I say a spiritual return, I mean in now coming to Yahuwah in spirit and in truth, in sincerity of heart. So for this reason, we're seeking to look at the spiritual connotations and understand the true meanings behind the superficial, cultural, social norms and traditions of our actions, things we may be doing, because these are the things, together with the thoughts and intents of our hearts, that our higher is seeing. And this is why he repeatedly tells us in the Bible to constantly examine our hearts, or as Proverbs 4.26 puts it, to ponder the paths of our feet. This means to look at how we're living our lives, the things we're doing, to ask ourselves, are the things that we are doing pleasing to Yahuwah? 
do they promote and glorify him? Is he the centre of your life? So coming back to the topic of today's podcast, who is or was the original St. Nicholas or St. Nick? So we're often told that he was a Greek priest who lived in antiquity in the third century, to be precise. He dedicated his life to serving God, was a bishop of a place called Myra in Asia Minor, which today I believe is somewhere in modern day Turkey. He did some noble deeds, was a patron saint of children and sailors. I mean, a patron saint, whatever that is. Where exactly that is in the Bible, I'm not sure, but uh, there we go. However, it's all the stuff of legend, because in reality, Bishop Nicholas's existence is not attested to by any historical document. Even the historians will tell you that nothing certain is known about him or can even be verified. It can't even be proven that he even ever existed. Furthermore, the timelines, I wouldn't say are off exactly, but they are extremely tight. What do I mean by that? Well, they proclaimed him to be the bishop in the third century of a church that didn't really exist or become a serious thing until the fourth century. If you do your research, they say that They think Bishop Nicholas was born around 270 AD. The Catholic Church didn't really start emerging until the mid-4th century. Constantine himself, who actually converted to Christianity and established it, didn't convert himself until 312 AD. The Nicene Council was one of the earliest meetings of this fledgling church to start to agree its doctrines and beliefs took place in 325 AD. So um, this would make St. Nicholas the very first bishop of this new church, way before it became a serious thing. So the Catholic Church, the first organised Gentile church, didn't really seriously begin to adopt the form as we know it today until the rule of Pope Gregory in 590 AD. So they are really setting this character as foundational to the Catholic Church itself. And not only to the Catholic Church, but also foundational to the founding of Western supposed civilization itself. And this is not without significance. So whoever this St. Nicholas is or was, we are being told he was pivotal or foundational to the very fabric of this church and also potentially to European history as well. However, more to the point, we're being told that this St. Nicholas, who we've established is one and the same person as Father Christmas, was and is actually a senior ranking man of the cloth, the Catholic Church to be precise. In fact, we are being told that whoever he is, that he is the bishop of this church, because St. Nicholas was a bishop of Myra, you see my point. So if you notice, he's always shown as an old man with gray hairs who never seems to die, who would seem to have a pension for children. So are we being told that Father Christmas or this St. Nicholas is someone who is currently alive? Hmm, don't you think that's interesting? So who could this St. Nicholas be or what could he possibly represent? The mystery thickens. 
However, more to the point, were you aware that you were taking your children to see the Pope and sit on his knee? Would you take your children to see Father Christmas? So we've established that Father Christmas, a.k.a. St. Nicholas, or another name he's also given is Santa Claus, he would seem to have many names, is a senior ranking cleric, a bishop of the Catholic Church. Possibly I may be telling you what you have already deduced. So let's now turn our attention to consider who was, or should I say is, the original or true St. Nicholas or Father Christmas. Because I submit to you that St. Nicholas was, or is, code for Pope Nicholas V. It's my belief that we are actually being shown Pope Nicholas V. And uh, why do I say that? Because Pope Nicholas V did something that impacted or brought what Western civilization, in quotes, could perceive to be prosperity or perpetual Christmases, if you will, good fortune or wealth to Western civilization or to the West by what he did. And this is perhaps what's really being commemorated in the legends of Father Christmas, a.k.a. St. Nicholas, every year. Now, you can see this a bit more clearly if you look at the whole legend around Black Pete, for example. As I mentioned, the Dutch have a narrative as part of their Christmas tradition around a character called Black Pete. So at Christmas, Dutch people to this day actually put on black face and black gloves and Afro wigs to depict this character. Can you believe in 2022? But since about 2020 in Holland, I believe, in the light of the George Floyd incident in the US, that protests have increased to drop this tradition. The protests have intensified, though I understand that these were met with death threats in some quarters. Sometimes this character is also depicted as a child, and there are some reports that he was supposed to be a child in this legend. Effectively, he was Santa's little helper, and that's where that expression comes from, Santa's little helper. However, he was, to all intents and purposes, Santa's slave. So the narrative also states that he was a Moor from Spain. Now, the Moors didn't actually conquer Spain until 708 AD. So again, here we see an attempt to say that European history is foundational or precedes Moorish history. And this provides a good indication of what Pope Nicholas actually did or what, what, he, or what started to be done to pave the way for the Renaissance in earnest. Or in the UK, it was actually called the Enlightenment. But this movement or philosophy, which is more of an idea, later became known as the Enlightenment in the UK. And this marks the period in history that saw the genesis or the beginnings of the whitewashing, I can only call it, or mass appropriation of black history on an industrial scale. However, if Black Pete were a Moor, then it confirms him to be who we would call, or today, those formerly known as Negroes. Of course, we now know that Negroes are actually Israel. So let's look a little bit, bit more closely at the legend of Black Pete. As I say, he's not mainstream to the British Christmas story, perhaps thankfully. However, whenever you see pictures of this character, Black Pete, in the same frame as Father Christmas, Father Christmas, a.k.a. Santa Claus, 
we now know to be St. Nicholas, is usually always dressed up in the garments of a bishop, specifically of the Catholic Church, now wearing a mitre on his head, usually with a cross, the emblem of the church, on the front of it, and holding a staff of the sort that bishops and senior clerics in the high churches of the Catholic and the Anglican Church sometimes carry. And wearing the red and white vestments of the Catholic Church, which just also happened to be the colours of Christmas. You can see pictures of what I'm talking about if you go to our website. We don't actually own the rights to any of the images of Black Pete that I found. Um, and I think the Dutch call Santa, St. Nicholas, Sinterklaas. But I've included a link to some images for those who may be interested to see what I'm talking about. It's actually at the bottom of the article, Tis the Season of the Witch, which, as I said, is on the words page on our website, repairersofthebreach.online. So now, why do I say that St. Nicholas is code for Pope Nicholas V? Pope Nicholas V was Pope from 1447 to 1455, a relatively short reign. Popes tend to become rulers when they're quite old. Hence depictions of Father Christmas as an elderly man with white hair, as we mentioned previously. So if you recall, it was Pope Nicholas V the original St. Nicholas or Father Christmas, who in 1452 issued a papal bull entitled Dum Diversus, which means until I say different or until I say so. Now this papal bull or law actually authorised the King of Portugal, King Alfonso V, to conquer our forefathers essentially, who were called in the edict Saracens. Saracen apparently is a word for Muslims. So he authorised King Alfonso V to conquer Saracens and pagans. He was actually referring to our people, namely the Israelites, who the edict goes on to say were then living in a disputed territory in Africa. He granted Alfonso the right to confiscate all their lands and property of any Saracen ruler and traffic them essentially, initiating the slave trade formally, consigning them to perpetual slavery or servitude. This law or papal doctrine has never, to my knowledge, been repealed. But let's look a bit further at what Pope Nicholas did. Because he went further, following this up three years later, with another papal ball or papal law in 1453. This one was called Romanus Pontiflex, which means the Roman Pontiff. So this papal bull established the papacy's kingship over kings. So ruler over all the kings of the earth, as per Revelation 17, 18, and claimed a spiritual lordship, essentially ownership of the whole world. So many people perhaps don't consider the Pope to be a king, but he does have all the powers of a king. In fact, possibly more because he has a crown, and can even directly mandate laws or papal bulls. So the crown of the Pope is called the Triregnum. It's a papal tiara formed by three crowns, symbolising the triple power of the Pope as father of kings, governor, of, governor or owner of the world, and, more blasphemously, vicar of Christ. 
as I believe that the present Pope has actually stepped away from the last title, Vicar of Christ, preferring it to be known more simply as Bishop of Rome. And indeed, I think from about the 18th century, it's been a custom in Rome to actually crown a bronze statue they have of St. Peter every June the 29th, which apparently is a feast day that's set aside for this for St. Peter, who they call this saint. Where any of this is in the Bible, I'm not sure, but there we go. And you have to recall, moreover, it was Rome that ordered the execution of Simon Peter, who was a disciple of Christ. And they actually then turn around and say that he was their first pope. I mean, they actually executed Simon Peter, crucifying him upside down. This is all historical fact. At least Rome did, I think, before the formal formulation of the papacy. But uh, that, that is historical fact. So what did Pope Nicholas do? And then how does it relate to the Hebrew Yashraelites or Israelites? So Pope Nicholas V, through this papal bull, Romanus Pontiflex, basically consigned the entire population of the earth, that's everyone living below the 19th parallel to perpetual slavery. So the 19th parallel is roughly everything south of a place called Cape Bojador. Cape Bojador is a headland on the coast of Northwest Africa. It's roughly around where the Canary Islands are today. So everyone south of those islands, essentially, was consigned to perpetual slavery. Well, if that's the case, it wouldn't only apply to the Saracens or Muslims, um, as our forefathers were labelled in that edict, who, of course, we know to be Yasharel, but it would apply to almost everyone on the planet, except the Europeans, of course, because they're all above the 19th parallel in the main. So it would include all the uh, Americans, Native Americans, but especially through the South Americas, the Central and South Americas, the Indians, all of the, the Saudi Arabians, the Arabs, um, in the supposed Middle East, the Indians in India, and all the Indo-Chinese nations, so Vietnam, Cambodia, um, Laos, Malaysia, China, Japan as well. So in a nutshell, this papal bull, Romulus Pontiflex praises the Catholic king, Alfonso V of Portugal, for his battles against the Muslims. The invented battles um, against our forefathers, the Saracens, which we know to be code word now for the Hebrew Israelites, essentially. Now, not all of our forefathers were Muslims, though admittedly, potentially a large proportion of them were. So it endorses his military expeditions into, West, into Western Africa, instructing him to capture and subdue all Saracens, Turks as well, and other non-Christians to reduce their persons to perpetual slavery. This unrighteous law has also been called an important example of the papacy's claim to spiritual lordship or assumed ownership of the whole world and its role in regulating relationships among Christian princes and unbelievers and unbelievers who it labels heathens and infidels and became the basis of Portugal's later claim to the lands in the new world. A claim later countered by Castile or Spain and the bull Intercatera, which we'll come on to look a little bit more at. And perhaps most importantly of all the things that Pope Nicholas did 
were the plenary indulgences he gave to the participants in this unrighteous trade. Because he essentially absolved all the participants in the trade, specifically of their murders, thefts, and of all their crimes they would commit in the pursuance of this trade. So uh, that's the end of our part one of this uh, podcast, Who is the Truth St. Nicholas, The Making of a Legend. Uh, do tune into our part two, which will be called The Legend of St. Nicholas, a commemoration of the Discovery Doctrine. We'll go on to that next. So we are the repairers of the breach, Isaiah 58, 12, hashtag, we will restore his paths. This recording was made for the 3rd of January, 2023, for Hebrew Diaspora News.